1993, three eight-year-old boys were brutally murdered in a small town in eastern Arkansas. There is evidence the killings may have been part of a satanic ritual, but much about this awful case remains unclear. Today, we'll try to solve the remaining puzzle with the cooperation of experts and family members from both the young victim's side and the side of the teenaged accused. Pam and Terry are the parents of Stevie Hobbs. Stevie, one of the eight-year-old boys, brutally murdered. Jackie is uh, the victim's grandfather. I know it's difficult, Pam, but can you describe the wounds on Stevie's body? Um, the left side of his face was cut and mutilated. He was tied hand and foot, and he had injuries to his head where they had, his brain had scattered when they hit him. Essentially, he was beaten to death? Mm -hmm. Tell us your reaction, Terry, when you heard what had happened to your stepson. I don't know. I just, I couldn't believe it. We been, went into shock. Maybe in shock now. You know, I still can't believe it. We hadn't, it's like a long nightmare that you keep waking, waiting to wake up from. And we're here in the middle of it. Welcome to the Conspiracy Therapy Podcast with Ryan, Larry, Springhill, Josh, and the Illumamami herself. Miss April. And on today's episode, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, part one of two on the West Memphis Three. kitchen studio as always sitting down to talk a tale tale as old as time Mm, maybe not as magical as that (laughs) turn of phrase might make it seem but probably the biggest cold case that we will have covered to date no one murders children like gaston (laughs) (laughs) um so off the bat uh, this was a listener 
choice, actually, for the month of September. It's your fault, listeners. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't know much about this case going into it. I knew kind of peripherally, like Mm -hmm. what I knew about the docs. I knew that a lot of people have opinions. I know about the free West, the West Memphis three kind of movement that happened in the late nineties and thousands and still goes strong to today. Um, but I really didn't know a lot. And now after diving into it, I can see why it is such a phenomena. Um, but before we get too far into talking about all these things, I'm curious. And um, let's just pull the Thunderbird to the side of the road. Why don't we? Now, when it comes to the religious, do you ever find that most of them, whether they're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, uh, Wiccan, whenever they believe, whenever they believe things like, as in this case of this, it's becomes kind of like a Salem witch trials in a, in a way, which future episode, um, they will go for blood in the name of their God. Seems like the common, the extremists. Yes, not your average. You know. I I wouldn't say, yeah, I would say your average, not so bad. I'm just curious, though, like, doesn't it, does it seem like maybe in these, in these, in these instances of religious, especially this being in West Memphis and Arkansas, this is basically the Bible belt. Mm -hmm. There, a lot of the comments that came out from the public right away were like, they better burn in hell for what they did. You know, like it was very, I mean, I don't know what you would say if you were Jewish, I guess they, they Jews have hell too, right? I don't know. Yes, they do. I'm trying to keep, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't researched it. It's mm-hmm. not an episode mm-hmm. yet. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I think I, we all have that feeling in a way, like whatever, you know, whatever your feelings are, whether you believe in hell or not, you have, that feeling that you want revenge or justice suffering. Yeah. Yeah. An eternal suffering for somebody who's done something bad. Yeah. Something. I think that's natural. Terrible. Yeah. I, this is going to probably be the biggest question I've ever thrown on the table for you guys being, this is a truth corner moment, but I just kind of thought of it. How do we feel as a group about the death penalty? Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, this we is may a- hate each other here. No, next up, abortion <laughs> <laughs> and nothing, gun rights. Nothing like getting together with your favorite pod family to talk religion, <laughs> politics, and abortion. Josh, do you want to start? No, <laughs> I gotta think. Of, honestly, this is you're throwing a big one at us, so oh, I gotta I think it. about it for a second. All right. I, well, I can start. I, when it comes to the death penalty, there, there are certain crimes where I feel like, you know, like BTK, I wish he was dead, but he's still alive writing bad poetry. (laughs) Ted Bundy, he deserved it and he got it. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. instance, it worked, but there's these, there's this amount of cases and they've got this thing called like the truth movement or something like that. And they're people that go out of their way to try to exonerate people who are on death row. 
and they look for those cases where there's flaws. In this case, uh, Damien Eccles was, and I, you know, I'm sorry to spoil future parts of this to come, but he was facing the death penalty for a long time. To me, if he had been executed, that could have been, and this case is still technically, I think, in most circles considered unsolved. If he was killed and evidence be damned and DNA be found, that I mean, that's just such a turning point. And to kill somebody who's innocent of a crime bothers me. So in that, I have to say in the in the in the case of a murder trial where death penalty is on the docket i think i i i just i i think if i had to fall on one side i'm i'm against it okay truthfully when i think about these people that especially you know kill kids or kill anybody uh these big heinous crimes there's a part of me that thinks, well, if they die, they're dead. Like, it is what it is. And some of them, it's like they get a lethal injection and that's it. Like, it's done. We don't know whether there's a heaven in hell or it's just it's like you go to sleep and that's it. So some of these people that do these massive crimes, it's like, you know, they get the, they get the easy way out instead of having to suffer, say, in solitary confinement, especially the ones that are proven like the blood on your hands. I hate it because I want to say that I'm for it for those people, but then they don't really get to suffer for having to sit there in their own thoughts. And so they just get to suck off your tax dollars. But yeah, that, but that's the other part too, is that they, they're it's costing us. Mm-hmm. So, I wish there were more real villains that were in private prisons rather than people for small drug offenses. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Legalize it, you fucks. One more month. I hopefully am going to say that I am okay with the death penalty for somebody that does something absolutely horrible. But if it's something that is maybe still an open case and it's, there's still facts that we don't know about in the air. No, because okay. it could turn around in 20 years, 30 years uh, that, that they were innocent and they could still have a chance at some kind of life. Right. And that's medical science. It's only getting better. Mm-hmm. April. I'm going to say that I am for the death penalty um <laughs> only uh only because um i think whereas josh and, and i do agree with josh i wish that there were some more form of suffering but i think in cases of absolute cut and dried murder and and admissions of guilt and dna evidence and absolute solid concrete evidence that this is the person who committed this crime in cases of murder um especially in cases of serial murder um i think that the it would just that's like the ultimate end like if you're sick enough in the head to murder someone then 
you kind of are asking for it. And I, I think if the death penalty, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm for the death penalty. I'm with you. I I understand. I know I said against, but I, I'm, that's like 49 to 51%. Mm -hmm. A lot of me wants to side for it. Like Andre Chikatilo was a serial killer in Russia who was shot in the back of the head two days after he was told, Mm -hmm. Hey, you're a piece of shit. And he was, by all rights and all means, he was a blood serial killer, mm-hmm. which, uh, spoiler alert, we'll get into that in the drunktacular, but mm-hmm. the blood serial killers are the worst. They make a mess, they fuck things up, they can mm-hmm. only get erect from blood, and they do horrible, terrible things to mm-hmm. human beings. Yes, what they did was right, and I won't post a bunch of, like, temper tantrum anti-death mm-hmm. penalty things when somebody like that gets taken out, so... Additionally, and this is more of a, uh, a from a female standpoint, and not necessarily death penalty. Um, I think rapists should be medically castrated. I would love that. That and pedophile, like real yeah. bad pedophiles. Absolutely, any pedophile. Any pedophile. Yeah, agreed. Lawrence, what is your take? Hot take. <laughs> I'm I'm for it as long as we we know for with a shadow without a shadow of a doubt. I think there needs to be a new level because I think sometimes we try people and the evidence just doesn't stack mm-hmm. up. There's that there's if there's any, any doubt, doubt, then no yeah. way. Other than the psychopath, if the psychopath's on the stand and he's sitting there, you know, juggling his turds and his semen and he's just talking about how <laughs> this is just who I am and I didn't do this and uh, I'm Jesus and I don't know why I'm here. I have affluenza. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just kill him. And and like April was saying about the rapist, I'm cool with the April for president 2020. Just cut it right off. That's it. a that's her first thing. Castrate yep. all medical, the rapists. Medical castrations. Yep. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe even death penalty for pedophiles. Yeah. So you castrate the the rapists, and if they're women, do you just take one of those like horse like things where they put the horseshoe on, no. but you just ca- <laughs> like you just oh, no, 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 you no. just burn their pussy to like a wall? Pretty sure that violate one of the amendments. <laughs> the pussy amendment. The, the, yeah. The V amendment. Amendment V. <laughs> the, the, um, no, but in, in all seriousness, uh, you know. We, these school, these hot school we, teachers. We we can do it kids. humane. Everything can be done humanely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's no re, you know we don't have to like make anything painful. There's no other than procreation. There's no other purpose for the human vagina. So it shut. Yeah. As long as the urethra is still function functioning. If they can still pee out of it, yeah, I think exactly. Fine. So. No, no, no lack of discussions to this. Yeah, I'm just my head spinning right now because, wow, probably the I didn't I didn't think I was going <laughs> to. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to drop a big one like that. So we're going to jump from the this. <laughs> we're going to jump from this straight into one of my favorite news segments where Larry takes us back in time to when this happened, when these four are four, these three little boys were found dead in 1993 with his time capsule. Now it's time for us to open up the time capsule. Give it up for Naughty by Nature! Oh, yeah, 1993. Larry's hip-hop sweet spot. Oh, this is going to be Ryan's sweet spot in a lot of ways. Mine too. 
so as usual, we start with music. Music! January 8th, the postal, U.S. Postal Service issues an Elvis, stamp, Elvis Presley stamp. January 12th, Cream reunites for a performance at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Los Angeles. Other inductees include Clear, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Ruth Brown, The Doors, Van Morrison, and Sly and the Family Stone. January 31st, Michael Jackson plays the halftime show of Super Bowl XXVII, beginning the trend of hiring pop stars to do the halftime show. Oh. Interesting. February 10th, Oprah Winfrey interviews Michael Jackson during a U.S. television primetime special, and it becomes one of the most watched interviews in television history, and his first interview in 14 years. February 19th, Elton John is forced to end a concert in Melbourne, Australia, a half hour early when a swarm of grasshoppers invades the stage. <laughs> Sounds like an off-tempo episode. Yeah, no kidding. That's uh, interesting. I, I I don't get it, but I hear things are kind of crazy in Australia. Australian listeners, can you send us a message or a Twitter at Conspiracy T Show? Just send us a tweet. Tell us, assuming some, something doesn't jump out and kill you. Tell tell us some of the conspiracies down under because we'd love to cover it. Yeah. April 22nd, The Who's Tommy opens on Broadway. June 4th, Kurt Cobain is taken jail after a domestic fight with wife Courtney Love. No charges are filed. Depending on who you ask, if you ask the police, Kurt Cobain hit her. If you ask Nirvana fans, she deserved it. At the the time. Where do you sit on that one, dear? Oh, yeah. Courtney Love's his favorite. I've been vocal about my distaste with Courtney Love. However, you should never hit a woman. Unless she's got a knife and she's going to kill you. Well, yeah, yeah, that's... But I'm just saying, like, if it was just a they were screaming at each other, he hit her, that's that's not cool. June 7th, on his 35th birthday, Prince announces that he is changing his name to an unpronounced symbol, leading him to be called the artist, artist formerly known as Prince until 2000, when he was then known as the artist formerly known as the artist formerly known as Prince. June... 7th, or July 17th, Guns N' Roses play the final gig on their Use Your Illusion tour, and this will be the last time the original band plays together until 2016. July 18th, at a Lollapalooza concert in Philadelphia, Rage Against the Machine uses their entire 14 minutes performance to protest their single Killing in the Name of being banned from radio. Hmm. With only guitar feedback for sound, the group appears on stage naked with the letters PMRC painted on their chest and electrical duct tape over their mouths. P-M-R-C. What does that stand for? I don't know. It doesn't say. August 5th, singer Natalie Merchant announces on MTV that she's leaving 10,000 Maniacs after 12 years with the band. August 28th, Bruce Dickinson plays his final show with Iron Maiden until 1999. September 14th. Yes. PMRC. When I first Googled it, it said Parents Music Resource. Ah, those dicks. Yeah. (laughs) September 14th, a civil lawsuit is filed against Michael Jackson by 13-year-old Jordan Chandler and his parents accusing the singer of sexually abusing the boy over the course of their friendship, which I think kind of ended Michael Jackson's career Mm -hmm. unfairly because I believe it's kind of come out that he couldn't, like he'd been castrated when he was a child. Yeah. November 18th, Nirvana play their Unplugged concert in New York for MTV. Fucking awesome. One of the best Unplugs ever. And then the next day, Pearl Jam singer Eddie Vedder is arrested in New Orleans on charges of public drunkenness after a barroom brawl. (laughs) December 31st, the 22nd annual New Year's Rockin' Eve special appears on ABC with appearances by Brooks and Dunn, Daryl Hall, Kiss, 
One up and kiss Joey Lawrence, SWV and Barry Manilow. <laughs> Rick Astley retires from the music industry at the age of 27. Yeah, it was hard releasing two singles and then becoming <laughs> yeah. a meme. Wait, After so he's selling up? 40 million records. Really? Wow. Yeah. Never gonna give you up was a big uh, song. I'll give you up for 40 million of <laughs> retirement at age 27. And New Order breaks up whilst on tour from their album Republic and apparently do not speak to each other for another five years. By the way, yeah. I've only done karaoke twice. And one of the songs that I did karaoke to was Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. up. We've known each other. Wanna know the top 10 albums? Top 10 albums in 1990? Yes, Yes, please. Nirvana in Utero. The Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream. Great. Wu Tang Clan, Enter the Wu Tang, 36 Chambers, Pearl Jam Versus, Counting Crows, August and Everything After, Bjork Debut, Debut. Well, that's, that how, she, that's how she pronounces it. <laughs> Blur, Modern Life and Rubbish, Liz Fair, Exile and Guyville, Suede, Suede, Slow Dive, Suvlaki. I love that album. It's a shoegaze album. It's a big influence on me at a young age. Birth, August 16th, Chance the Rapper. August 26th, Ariana Grande. Oh. July 26th, she's hot. Stormzy, yeah. Like, she's stupid hot. I can't ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. I just keep trying to not say it out loud. It's distracting. But it just, like, tripped on my, out of my, yeah, yeah. It, it's distracting. She comes out and, like, even Bill Clinton's like, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Preachers are grabbing titty. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, August 29th, Liam Payne uh, of the band One Direction. And December 22nd, Megan Trainer. That's the one girl that's like, I'm kind of chubby, so let me sing a song about she, being kind of chubby. Yeah, but she's a she's a producer also. So she oh, yeah. produces a lot of stuff you hear. Yeah, she's, no, a, she's, she's a really good producer. And you know, honestly, that song was great. I actually really appreciated it. What her kind she wrote, she writes stuff too. So, a lot of stuff you hear, she's written. Yeah, very cool. She's much more, um, yeah. Josh's mom loves Megan Trainer. Oh, very cool. Fun fact. You know, I saw your mom on the way out to get pick my girls up the other day. She was out next to the highway with a fella in a chair waving at the traffic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just just that must have been Cody. (sighs) Explains a lot. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up right then, but... <laughs> Quick movie reviews. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Adam's Family Values. Great. Okay. Uh, the Age of Innocence. I wasn't that innocent. Alive. That's Amos. where the soccer players eat each other. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great Great culinary movie. Amos and Andrew. Nope. Army of Darkness. Yes. Love Army of Darkness. The Beverly Hillbillies with Jim Varney. I love Body of Evidence. Body Snatchers. Yes. Yes. Boiling Point. Born Yesterday. A Bronx Tale. No. Nope. Carlito's Way. Yes. Cliffhanger. I fucking love Cliffhanger. That's a good movie. Coneheads. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Cool Runnings. That was yes. The- oh, Cliffhanger. Not Cliffhanger. Uh, Cliffhanger is great. You should all watch it right now. But um. Coneheads is a scene where he's got like 17 dicks on him, doesn't he? Like he walks you out. You would know. The, I, I am the dick spurt. I just remember seeing in the movie I, as a kid, I'm like, what are those? Cop and a half. 
Dazed and Burt Conf- Reynolds yep. movie. R.I.P. Dazed and Confused. Yes. Fucking love that movie. Demolition Man. I also fucking love that movie. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> I yes. never saw it. Dragon, the Bruce, Bruce Lee story. I oh, did see it. Yes. Great movie. Fantastic. Fatal Instinct. Mm. Beaver Shot. The Firm. I thought that was I thought that was basic instinct. Oh, I get my instincts confused. <laughs> I was gonna say. Ryan knows his beavers too. Yeah, Sharon Stone, hot, fearless. No, the firm. Yes, I read that book. That was one of the first books I read in uh, middle school slash high school. For the love of money, the fugitive. Great movie, Geronimo. Nope, April. You've never seen any of these. Uh, Gettysburg. Yeah, I love that movie. Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Yes. Ooh, the Godzillying. The Good Son. Uh, yes. yes. Macaulay Culkin, if I, right? If I, if I let you go. Groundhog Day. Fly. Oh, definitely. Yes. One of the greatest movies of all time. I'm not even kidding. Groundhog Day. One of the greatest yes. movies of all time. <laughs> Groundhog Day. Okay. You're Grumpy funny. Old Men. <laughs> yes. I've seen it. i never seen Guilty it. Guilty of Sin. I am. Uh, but never seen it. Hard Target. I fucking love our <laughs> I knew you would. John Claude Van Damme yep. with some street <laughs> saxophone with some metal guitar and just like he's got tendril snakes hanging down because he's got a big old wet mullet the whole time. <laughs> Hot shots part do. Yes. Oh yes. god. Did you just what? Hot shots part do. I I I thought you said hot shards. Hot shots. And I was really confused. Hot shots part do. A lot of, duty, a lot, duty. Of war, a lot of warm wranglers back then. In the line of fire, yes, that's a great movie. That's one of those early Jack Ryan movies with uh, Harrison Ford. And, no, Clint Eastwood. No. Hey, Clint Eastwood and you're right. uh, John was... Malkovich. Oh, yeah. plays the killer. That's oh, right. So good. He makes that gun. Mm-hmm. Indecent proposal. Ooh, um, that's one where Robert Redford sleeps with Demi Moore, mm-hmm. offers her a million bucks. Yep. Ooh, she's sexy. Judgment Night. Oh, nope. Jurassic Park. Yes. Nope. Never heard of it. What's oh. it about? Uh, park called Jurassic. Oh, right. Last action hero. Yes. Of course. Really? Eh, I it? liked it. Lepre- I- Leprechaun. Yes. <laughs> I love Warwick Davis. <laughs> Loaded Weapon 1. Mm. That's Macaque. Lost in Yonkers. Nope. Made in America. Uh, oh, is that a Eddie? That Murphy? was the Whoopi Goldberg Ted Danson vehicle. Oh, mm. That's coming to America, we're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Man Without a Face. Mm-hmm. Menace to Society. Yes. I almost I got almost got into a fight in a theater over that movie. Really? Because somebody said they did. Just a few rows up from me, some there was a somebody brought their fucking baby to this movie. Oh Jesus. And so a couple rows in front of us, somebody was shh 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 every time the baby cried. And I got hit in the back of the head with a soda. So I Popped up, went back to threw the soda, and he was holding his baby in front of him like a shield. What a shit bird. Wow. Yeah. Welcome to the West Michigan area. No mm-hmm. kidding. Uh, uh, money for nothing. I know Josh will love this one. Mr. Nanny. I, yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. Much ado about nothing. I think Mrs. Doubtfire is actually about a, like, Psychopath now in retrospect. It is. It's really fucking creepy. <laughs> did you watch the Mr. Nanny Brother? Well, did you did you see the recut trailer for Miss Doubtfire? Yeah, that's hilarious. As, as a, as a horror movie or something. <laughs> the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, oh yeah, love that movie. Nowhere too. to Run. Mm-hmm. Jean Claude Van Damme. Pelican Brief. Oh, Julia Roberts. I uh, skipped it. Uh, Return of the Living Dead. Yes. Three. Oh, yes. God. Oh, that three. was the goth chick, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's nipple 
Nipple. Punk chick. Nipple punk chick. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Her. Robo- <laughs> Robocop 3. Yeah, yeah, I actually did watch it, and it wasn't too bad. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm curious if that movie upon rewatch isn't a little... Racy? Yeah, or just not necessarily aged well. Mm-hmm. Schindler's List. <laughs> that aged really well. Searching for Bobby Fischer. <laughs> Guess what? There's boobs in Schindler's <laughs> List. There's dicks. Oh, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. I've seen it. That's my ex-wife's favorite movie. Aaron loves it, too. Six Degrees of Separation. Kevin Bacon? Yep. Oh, no. Never mind. No. Mm-hmm. Sleepless in Seattle. Yes. So I mar- married an axe murderer. Oh, yes. yes. That's so good. Son-in-law. Oh, God. Uh, what's his name? Fucking uh, Pauly Shore. Pauly Shore, yeah. yeah. Decent movie. Super Mario Brothers. Uh, Awful. Maybe needs to be remade. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Oh, yeah. The Three Musketeers. That's when they go to China. Yep. Japan, I thought. Or Tombstone. Yes. Tombstone's Uh, great. True Romance. Also great. Wayne's World 2. Yes. Yes. We're in it for the money. What's Eating Gilbert Grape? Oh, I love that movie. And what's Love Got to Do? Gilbert. (laughs) <laughs> I killed you, Mama. Actors who made their Mama. debut in 1993: Jennifer Aniston in Leprechaun, mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle in Robin Hood, Men in Tights. He was great. John too. Favreau in Rudy, directing it, I believe, or was he in it? I don't know. Anne Heche in An Ambush of Ghosts. Matthew McConaughey in My Friend's Back. Ryan Reynolds in Ordinary Magic. Uh, Jada Pickett Smith in Menace to Society. Vince Vaughn and Rudy and Renee Zellweger dazed and confused. Renee Renee Zellweger always looks like she just bit a lemon. Yeah, pretty much. She's got got that sour eyes. Her eyes get real small. Yeah, she's like, yep. You just you looked exactly like her just now. I thought I was sitting across the table from Renee Zellweger. That's me. (laughs) On the television, Saved by the Bell broadcast its final series final finale on NBC. And leads, which leads to the debut of the spinoff Saved by the Bell, The College Years. Ooh. Terrible. Yeah, I really God. wish they could do some sort of like, because you know how shows are like all coming back. I mm-hmm. wish they could do something with Saved by the Bell now where they're just all like 30, 40 somethings and they hate their lives. <laughs> Saved by the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers make oh, their yeah. debut. I watched that. The Late Night with Conan O'Brien premieres. Mm-hmm. Animaniacs. Oh, I love that yeah. show. Oh, let's see here. Uh, TV Food Network makes its debut, as does ESPN2. And Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, and Christina Aguilera join the cast of the Disney Channel series, The New Mickey Mouse Club. <sighs> I feel you old. A couple I news. This one really hit home with the old feels. <laughs> Bill Clinton is sworn in as 42nd President of the United States. I digress. 1993 World Trade Center bombing happens. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms agents raid the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas. Janet Reno is confirmed by the United States, sworn in the next day, becoming the first female attorney general of the United States. Uh, The first female lesbian attorney general. And an executive order requires the United States Air Force to allow women to fly despite their dainty lady bits. <laughs> hey, you know what I found out today? What? Sexual harassment was elite, was legal in the workplace until 1986. Of course it was. And it had to go all the way up to the Supreme Court just to get it to be oh, illegal. Jesus. Wow. Hashtag me too, Brent Kavanaugh. Ah. Uh, 
here we go. Lorena Bobbitt cuts off the penis of her husband, John Wayne oh. Bobbitt. Did Fuck, you guys know that Fucker he, deserved it too He did But did you guys know That he was in a porno After that Franken penis Franken penis Yeah Oh yeah He came on the Howard Stern show To, of course tell, he to did. plug that It was Whoa. great <laughs> The Unabomber injures Computer scientist David Gertner At Yale University Gertner Ooh uh, White House Deputy Counsel Vince Foster Commits suicide In Virginia mm-hmm. Future episode Also Unabomber Future episode Yeah for sure uh, actor Vincent Price dies of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Actor River Phoenix dies of a drug-induced heart failure on the sidewalk outside the West Hollywood nightclub, The Viper Room. The saving and loan crisis, which I believe there's actual uh, conspiracy to that. It was done on purpose to mm-hmm. crash the economy. Mm-hmm. And Colin Ferguson opens fire with his Ruger 9 on a Long Island Railroad train, killing six and injuring 29. Ah, yes. Sports fans. Super Bowl XXVII, Dallas Cowboys 152-17 over the Buffalo Bills at making it three straight losses for the Buffalo Bills and three Ouch. straight Super Bowls. Probably one of the best, uh, which you can argue, one of the best franchises in football history to go with three straight mm-hmm. Super Bowls. So World Series of Toronto Blue Jays win four games to two over the Philadelphia Phillies. NBA Finals, Chicago Bulls win four games to two over the Phoenix Suns. And Michael Jordan then announces retirement to go play baseball, mm-hmm. then returns 17 months later. And on November 12th, the Ultimate Fighting Championship's very first uh, event is held. Hmm. I didn't know it was that old. Yeah. Wow. That whole Michael Jordan thing is a conspiracy to cover unto itself because yes. a lot of people think Which that Which we did, because- I believe, on episode two of the EFIS, we dive into the conspiracy of that. Oh, nice. Check it out. He may have gambled. Yeah, he did. There you go. That's one of his problems. And that's been your Time Capsule. So, where to begin? This is a doozy. A doozy of a toozy. It's split much opinion to this day. It is, as of today, still, from what I can tell, considered to be basically unsolved, but immensely fascinating. Because, I mean, three kids, three eight-year-old boys died. If anybody out there who's got kids has a kid that's above or near that age, you know where their mental capacity is. It's incredibly intense. And I want to, I want to preface before I kind of start to break this down that this warning, this does get brutal, but in order to understand kind of where the families were mentally at the time and kind of where things went henceforth. We really do. You really can't just like skim over details. So the trial of the West Memphis three, though, as many documentaries and programs have sometimes overlooked really started with three dead eight year old boys in West Memphis, Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really where we have to begin. So I will quickly cite my sources. Obviously I used Wikipedia like most red-blooded Americans, which always covers it all, but also there's the Paradise Lost documentaries, the uh, incredible True Crime Garage three-part episodes that really break down the facts as they are to today, which I actually would say, check out... I don't think you can go back that far for True Crime Garage, so if you go to YouTube, you can listen to those episodes and check them out. 
Um, there's also The Devil's Knot by Mara Leverett, which was uh, a book. And I think a lot of times people say the book is the best, but I would actually say that I found that True Crime Garage series to be the most informative, especially with like newer clues and kind of like facts about the case and where they stand. So let's get started on the murder of three boys. Yay! Nobody loves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good Lord, we're going to hell. Well, so. This one definitely rings for us because our oldest, he just turned nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we definitely yeah. know the mental capacity of an eight-year-old. Well, one of the sad facts is that when one of the, the parents actually saw one of the boys before they left, mm. the, the last parent to see one of the boys, she, he had um, stopped by the house just to see... His friends, because these three boys were best friends. Mm. He had stopped by to check on one of the boys, and he wasn't there. And the show that was playing on the TV was Muppet Babies, and he asked if he could come in and watch the episode for a little while. And then he proceeded to go try to find his friend. Wow. Which, I mean, for anybody who's our age can kind of place that, but just imagine that in your head, and it's like, oh, yeah, I know this. these Mm -hmm. kids. Okay, so Stevie Edward Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore were all second graders at Weaver Elementary School. Each had achieved the rank of Wolf in the local Cub Scout pack, and they were best friends. Anybody else in the Boy Scouts? I was. I was not. We couldn't afford it. It was, I believe it was free. free. Oh, so I feel like when we looked into it, there there was some kind of startup cost. I think you do have to like buy the uniform, though, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, my parents couldn't afford it, so I didn't really want to do it anyways. So, of the of the three, Steve was the son of Stephen and Pamela Branch, who divorced when he was an infant. His mother was awarded custody, and later she married Terry Hobbs, who you heard during the Geraldo Rivera beginning there. Obviously, he loved his stuff. By the way, that clip, I could just hear, like, Geraldo just like, like a fucking vulture just wanting to yeah. pick over the... Geraldo's pretty notorious for that, too. Gross. Branch was eight years old, four feet, two inches tall, weighed 65 pounds, and had blonde hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt and riding a black and red bicycle. He was an honor student. He lived with his mother, Pamela, his stepfather, Terry, and a four-year-old half-sister named Amanda. Steve Edward Branch, by the way, one of the victims, is buried in Mount Zion Cemetery. Chris Byers, or Christopher Mark Byers, was born to Melissa Defer and Ricky Murray. His parents divorced when he was four years old. Shortly afterward, his mother married John Mark Byers, who we are entering a character into this whole thing right now, who is literally... If you come across the Paradise Lost documentaries, he's definitely one of the people you remember. Mm. Big fella... (laughs) Very conservative, very religious, wears a American flag button up, has some things to say, also likes to sing. So I always love that. The singing. Yeah, that's how the second documentary ends. So Byers was eight years old, four feet tall, weighed 52 pounds and had light brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue jeans, dark shoes and a white long sleeved shirt. He lived with his mother, Sharon Melissa Byers, his adoptive father, like I said, John Mark Byers, and his stepbrother, Sean Ryan Clark, age 13. 
According to his mother, Christopher was a typical eight-year-old. He, quote, still believed in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. He is also buried in Forest Hill Cemetery East in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, I will cite that Mark Byers and his son Ryan were all out there searching for him immediately when that starts to come up. And Mm. I I did want to cite that because they were up till like 11 o'clock that night just searching everywhere. Jeez. Now, Michael Moore was the son of Todd and Dana Moore. He was eight years old, four feet, two inches tall, weighed 55 pounds, and had brown hair. He was last seen wearing blue pants, a blue Boy Scouts of America shirt, and an orange and blue Boy Scout hat, and riding a light green bicycle. Really, they were all last seen wearing red, though. (laughs) Actually, that is factually inaccurate, because... The bodies were removed. Well, actually, the, the, the bodies were removed. Well, I, I'm just going by the bottom of my Wranglers here, folks. Okay, so... Score! He lived with his parents and his nine-year-old sister, Dawn. James Michael Moore is buried in Crittenden Memorial Park Cemetery in Marion, Arkansas. Now, the West Memphis Three do have a memorial. Or the victims have a memorial, not the... In 1994, a memorial was erected for the three murder victims. The memorial is located in the playground of Weaver Elementary School in West Memphis, where all three victims were second graders at the time. Which is... Man, that's got to be sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think second graders understand the weight of that, and they probably draw on it with chalk, but at the same time, like the teachers definitely know. I don't know. Yeah, eight years old. How do you process that? I don't know. I know when I was... This is a weird side tangent, but when I was in third grade, I remember I used to walk to school every morning, and one of the girls, her name was Carly, I don't remember her last name, but she walked out in front of the school bus and got hit (gasps) by a uh, driver. Oh my god. Yeah, she died instantly. And uh, I just remember the day I went to school, and um, I didn't think the kids had like... All right, I, I not not the kids. I didn't think the teachers were that like caring until that moment. But I remember my third grade teacher started bawling in front of all of us, mm-hmm. and one girl had to leave the class and ask mm-hmm. for her mom to come get her because she was so distraught about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we gotta get into the details, and I hate to do this. I really do. We're all parents, mm-hmm. but well, three. You're a fur daddy. So Steve Branch, Michael Moore, and Christopher Byers were reported missing on May 5th, 1993. The first report to the police was made by Byers' adoptive father, John Mark Byers, around 7 p.m. Now, these people were super on it. I mean, there really wasn't a lot of time. The window of opportunity for these crimes to be committed is relatively small, I think, compared to when they find these, these kids. And they, I mean, even when Byers was out at seven, like he talked to a cop and the cop basically was like, well, here's the deal. Maybe you should just go home, give us a call at eight, and then you're going to have to file a missing persons report. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because as a parent, you just want just do that. Like, well, I guess I'll just wait. Right. Right. And it's hard. And they didn't wait. They, They kept looking. Yeah. But also... Um, they'd met up with all the other parents because they knew that their three boys were like BFFs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, 
The boys were allegedly last seen by three neighbors who in affidavits told of seeing them playing together around 6.30 p.m. that evening. They disappeared and seeing Terry Hobbs, Steve Branch's stepfather, calling them to come home. Initial police searches made that night were limited. Friends and neighbors also conducted a search that night, which included a cursory visit to the location where the bodies were later actually found. (sighs) Yeah. So they were that close to where it happened. Um, But on top of that, there was also the fact that they didn't stop. They kept the son, Ryan. uh, Mark Byers kept his son, Ryan, up late into the night. Um, at least until 11 before they actually went to bed and we're constantly looking sleep. You don't mm-hmm. sleep. He didn't, he didn't sleep. He went in bed and he said he shut his eyes and he didn't sleep. He just was waiting. And then literally, um, the door, somebody knocked on the door and he just like, his eyes were already open, you know, cause mm-hmm. you're in that kind of like just frozen despair. Mm-hmm. So. Now, a more thorough police search for the children began around 8 a.m. on May 6th, led by the Crittenden County Search and Rescue personnel. Searchers canvassed all of West Memphis, but focused primarily on Robin Hotels. Now, that space was specifically where the boys like to go play. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a forested area. Mm-hmm. They got water that they can, like, you know, look for frogs or, you know, skip stones or, I don't know. I mean, you're eight years old. What do you do? You play soldiers or... Mm-hmm. You take your toy. I'm, I'm saying, I mean, it's an innocent mm-hmm. time. Right. Yeah. This is, you got no hormones even functioning yet. So you're just out there being a boy. And I know, I mean, I remember being that age. I, the only thing I ever really did that was manly, and I think I told this story on a previous podcast, was like, I tried to wrestle a kid who was a wrestler because he was like <laughs> the winning wrestler. And I just wanted to know if I could beat him. <laughs> and I got my ass toasted pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, what was your ring name? I don't have a ring name. Crying Ryan. (laughs) Exactly. I was crying Ryan, and some of the bullies used to say that to me. Anyway. So, despite a shoulders, despite a shoulders, shoulders. Oh, I should say this: if you want a less heavy episode, maybe go to the squonk episode. (laughs) Also, a lot less dead children. in that episode. Also, I want to say hi to all the new listeners because these episodes generally tend to get a huge amount of listeners, especially when it's cold cases or gross, grossos. All right. Despite a shoulder-to-shoulder search of Robin Hood Hills, which they like to go to, by a human chain, searchers found no sign of the missing boys. Now, around 1.45, juvenile police officer Steve Jones spotted a boy's black shoe floating in a muddy creek. That led led to a major drainage canal in Robin Hood Hills, and a subsequent search of the ditch revealed... Okay. Let me just explain this to you. And that when this happened, there were like two to three feet of muddy water. Mm-hmm. It was 80 degrees out. The water's about 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. One of the investigators volunteered because once they saw the shoe, they were like, there's something in the water. Mm-hmm. He literally got down on his hands and knees and had to slowly. Oh, and this is a drainage ditch, something like that. Ugh. Like a, uh, it, but it's like a 
just a a minor body of water. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure if it's just a drainage Mm -hmm. ditch, but I, he walked through the muddy water and then eventually his foot around his foot got stuck underneath one of the bodies. And then when it floated, like it started to float up and, um, they all float. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It's a clown. So the, they, the, in this search, they revealed that the, the bodies of the three boys Mm. were in the water. They'd been hogtied. They'd been stripped naked. And they were also hogtied with their shoelaces. Their right ankles tied to their right wrist behind their backs, the same with the left arms and legs. Their clothing was found in the creek, some of it twisted around sticks that had been thrust into the muddy ditch bed. The clothing was mostly turned inside out. Two pairs of the boys' underwear were never recovered. Christopher Byers had lacerations to various parts of his body and mutilation of his scrotum and penis. Oh, oh come on. Come on. The autopsies by the forensic pathologist Frank Peretti indicated that Byers died of multiple injuries, while Moore and Branch died of drowning. (laughs) (sighs) Police initially suspected the boys had been raped. However, later expert testimony disputed this finding, despite trace amounts of sperm DNA found on a pair of pants recovered from the scene. Bend over. So there were traces of sperm. <laughs> Poor kids. That's yeah. a good uh, 80 synth pop band name. What? Traces sperm? of sperm? <laughs> yeah, it would be. <laughs> we're traces of sperm. <laughs> this is our new single. They open up to the cure. Yeah. We do covers <laughs> of Come As You Are. Prosecution experts claim Byers' wounds were the result of a knife attack and that he had been purposely castrated by the murderer. Jesus! Defense experts claim that injuries were more probably the result of post-mortem animal predation. Now, there was some some people that said that maybe some of the bite marks that were found on one of the boys might have came from snapping turtles. Which I guess is... Possible, but we'll get more into the bite marks, I think, in episode two. So I just want to throw that out there that that was kind of a theory. Going Donatello on. thought it was pizza. So defense experts claim the injuries were more probably the result of, like I said, animals. Police believe the boys were assaulted and killed at the location where they were found. Mm. Critics argued that the assault, at least, was unlikely to have occurred there, which I kind of side with, and Mm -hmm. I'll I'll get to that later. Byers was the only victim with drugs in his system. He was prescribed Ritalin in January of 93 as part of an attention deficit hyperactivity disorder treatment. The initial autopsy report describes the drug as carbamazepine and that dosage was found to be at sub-therapeutic level. John Mark Byers said that Christopher Byers may not have taken his prescription that day, Mm -hmm. which would lead to the low count. Yeah, makes sense. So what happened to get the cops to charge three more boys relatively, Damien, Damien Eccles was actually 18. What did it get to do? 
how did it get to the point where these three three boys that we know as the West Memphis Three were actually charged? So there's a theory that a low IQ Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was drawn to the police after his father told him to go in to help the investigation due to there being like a 30K plus something reward for information. Now, at the time, one of the top... Re- uh, I want to say something. We were going to play a clip of the interrogation here. What we're going to post on our Facebook and on different sites mm-hmm. that we are in charge of is the full interrogation because I want people to hear that. And we don't have, we don't want to make this a five hour episode. So listen to the interrogation. He does confess to the murder and that him and his friends were a part of this murder. Really? Yes. Hmm. And he says that Damien raped one of the boys. Ugh. It's very leading. But I want to say one thing. One of the top reasons for a false confession is low IQ. Mm-hmm. When people confess to things like this, generally it's because they're, they've been led. Um, Josh and April got a new cat. <laughs> and it just dropped us fresh deuce. Yep. Because it did not like this story. Apparently. So... Just so you know, there's a cat. We are all smelling kitty poop in our nose. And that's about it. Now, at the time of the arrest, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. was 17 years old. Jason Baldwin was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And Damien Eccles was 18. Baldwin and Eccles had been previously arrested for vandalism and shoplifting, respectively. And Miss Kelly had a reputation for his temper and for engaging in fistfights with other teenagers at school. Miss Kelly and Eccles had dropped out of high school. However, Baldwin earned high grades and demonstrated a talent for drawing and sketching and was encouraged by one of his teachers to study graphic design in college. Eccles and Baldwin were close friends, like best friends, and bonded over their similar tastes in music, Metallica, Slayer, Iron Maiden, and fiction and over their shared distaste for the prevailing culture climate of West Memphis, situated in the Bible Belt. Baldwin and Eccles were acquainted with Miss Kelly from school, but were not close friends with him. Eccles' family was poor and received frequent visits from social workers, Uh and he rarely attended school. He Mm. and his girlfriend had run off and later broken into a trailer during a rainstorm. They were arrested, though. Only Eccles, Damien, was charged with burglary. Eccles spent several months in a mental institution in Arkansas and afterward received full disability status from the Social Security Administration. During Eccles' trial, Dr. George W. Woods testified for the defense that Eccles suffered from serious mental illness characterized by grandiose and precursory delusions auditory and visual hallucinations, disordered thought processes, substantial lack of insight, and chronic incapacitating mood swings. But what got police to think of the West Memphis Three as the main culprits really was this evidence. So police officers James Sudsbury and Stephen Jones felt that the crime had cult overtones. Hmm. And that Damien Eccles might be a suspect because he had an interest in 
occultism, and Jones felt Eccles was capable of murdering children. Wow. This That's a stretch. Doctor that worked with him for mental illness mm-hmm. eventually is the one that was like, oh yeah, he's one of the guys. He's mm-hmm. definitely, and like he said this like verbatim, like you can see the footage in the first documentary where he's just like, yeah, he, he did it. Which is just, there's so much I have, I'm trying to keep it bay from ranting about, mm-hmm. about this, but I'm going to continue on. So anyway, so he was a suspect. Um, he had an interest in Wiccan ideals. He read Anton LaVey and he enjoyed just knowing things. He's a well-articulated young man. Even at that time, he would talk about things where police officers were completely inept and he could just spell it out for them. Like what say like uh, a sacrifice was for a Wiccan or a Satanist. He understood that. Let me under, let me just say one thing too. Wiccans don't believe in the devil one and two Satanists generally don't even cite the devil as like a praise thing. Most of the time it's based on free will. Something I want to add, you know a lot about serial killers. That doesn't mean you're a serial killer. Exactly. Exactly. So continuing on, um, Jones, Steve Jones felt Eccles was capable of murdering children. The police interviewed Eccles on May 7th, two days after the bodies were discovered. During a polygraph examination, he denied any involvement. The polygraph examiner claimed that Eccles' chart indicated deception. On May 9th... No, boy. (laughs) During a formal interview by Detective Bryn Ridge, Eccles mentioned that one of the victims had wounds to the genitals. Law enforcement viewed this knowledge as incriminating. After a month had passed with little progress in the case, police continued to focus their investigation upon Eccles, interrogating him more frequently than any other person. Nonetheless, they claimed he was not regarded as a direct suspect, but a source of information. So they misled him. Hmm. On June 3rd, the police interrogated Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. Despite his reported IQ of 72. <sighs> yeah, that's yeah. He's categorized uh, him unfair. as borderline intellectual functioning. So he's almost mentally handicapped, basically. Seems unfair. And his status as a minor, Miss Kelly was questioned alone. His parents were not present during the interrogation. Miss Kelly's father gave permission for Miss Kelly to go with the police, but did not explicitly give permission for his son to be questioned or interrogated. Mm Miss Kelly was questioned by for this little 16 year old or not 17 year old boy was questioned for 12 hours. Oh my God. Jesus. I don't think anybody can take that. Don't break down anybody. Only two segments totaling 46 minutes were recorded. And like I said, Miss Kelly's confession will post it. And he cried hard and he was scared as shit. And you can tell Miss Kelly quickly recanted his confession, citing information. Intimidation, coercion, fatigue, and veiled threats from the police. Miss Kelly specifically said he was scared of the police during his confession, during the actual confession. Wow. 12 hours. Mm -hmm. You know what I do in 12 hours? Sleep, work, drink, get off work, call my girlfriend, 
get mad, masturbate, fart, masturbate again mm. at the same time while maybe, farting. Maybe six. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. I feel bad for Jesse. I do, and I'm and again. I'm not trying to spell out my verdict here too early, but just like the hell these guys went through, and this is before. Well, we'll get to before it, the trial. Verdict. Yeah. So. Though he was informed of his Miranda rights, Miss Kelly later claimed he did not fully understand them. Obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where's Miranda? Right. 72 IQ. Mm-hmm. So, Didn't you see that lady on Fox? In 1996, the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled that Miss Kelly's confession was voluntary and that he did, in fact, understand the Miranda warning and its consequences. Portions of Miss Kelly's statements to the police were leaked to the press and reported on the front page of Memphis Commercial Appeal before any of the trial. So before the trial began, people knew about the genital genital mutilation, knew about Damien raping one of the kids, and word of mouth spreads like wildfire. All they have to talk about is this trial at the time, or, or the the trial to come, or you know, just that they found the murderers. And they're Satanists. Look at them. They look like Satanists. They'd be bad. Dead babies. Dead ba- Fucking. Ugh. That mentality was prevalent in this time. So, anyway, portions of Miss Kelly's statements to the police were leaked to the press, like I said. Mm-hmm. Shortly after Miss Kelly's first confession, police arrested Eccles and his closest friend, Baldwin. Eight months after his original confession, on February 17, 1994, Miss Kelly made another statement to police. His lawyer, Dan Stidham, who's a good dude, I just want to say, Dan, you definitely had your heart in the right place, and I feel bad for you because he really, he was like, there's no fucking evidence, basically. I mean, that's how I say it. He was like, there's no evidence, or whatever. Like, Where's he from? I don't know. Civil War era. Yeah. <laughs> Botswana. So he he also continually advised Miss Kelly not to say anything. Miss Kelly ignored this advice and went on to detail how the boys were abused and murdered. Stidham, who also was later elected to a municipal judgeship, hmm. has written a detailed critique of what he asserts are major police errors and misconceptions during that investigation. Stidham made similar comments later during a radio radio show in May of 2010. So then there are these wild cards. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is where this makes this case interesting. There's this lady named Vicki Hutchinson. She was a new resident of West Memphis who would play an important role in the investigation, though she would later recant her testimony, claiming her statements were fabricated due in part to coercion from the police. Now seems to be something the police like to do there in West Memphis. There Hmm. seems to be a lot of coercion. Hmm. So on May 6th, 1993, before the victims were found later the same day, Hutchinson took a polygraph exam by detective Don Bray at the Marion police department to determine whether or not she had stolen money from her West Memphis employer. Hutchinson's young son, Aaron, was also present and proved such a distraction that Bray was unable to administer the polygraph. Aaron, a playmate of these boys, of the murdered boys, mentioned to Bray that the boys had been killed at the, quote, playhouse. 
When the boy, when the bodies proved to have been discovered near where Aaron indicated, Bray asked Aaron for further details, and Aaron claimed that he had witnessed the murders committed by a Satanist who spoke Spanish. Aaron's further statements were wildly inconsistent, and in what he was unable to identify, <laughs> identify Baldwin, Eccles, or Miss Kelly from photo lineups, and there was no quote playhouse. At the location Aaron indicated, a police officer leaked portions of Aaron's statements to the press contributing to the glowing belief that the murders were part of a satanic rite. Now, on or about June 1st, 1993, Hutchison agreed to police suggestions to place hidden microphones in her home during an encounter with Eccles, Damien Eccles, Miss Kelly, Jesse Miss Kelly, agreed to introduce Hutchinson to Eccles. So introduce this old single mom Mm -hmm. to Eccles. During their conversation, Hutchison reported that Eccles made no incriminating statements. Police said the recording was inaudible, but Hutchison claimed the recording was totally audible. On June 2nd, 1993, Hutchison told police that about two weeks after the murders were committed, she, Eccles, and Miss Kelly attended a Wiccan meeting in Terrell, Arkansas. Hutchison claimed that at the Wiccan meeting, a drunken Eccles openly bragged about killing the three boys. Miss Kelly was first questioned on June 3rd, 1993, a day after Hutchinson's purported confession. Hutchinson was unable to recall the Wiccan meeting location and did not name any other participants in the purported meeting. Hutchinson was never charged with theft. She claimed she was incapable or she was. She claimed she was implicated Eccles and Miss Kelly to avoid facing criminal charges and to obtain a reward. Again, once that reward went out there, like I said, Miss Kelly's dad sent his son without his parents to be interrogated by police because he thought they were going to get money for it. She didn't get any of that money either. So good. So supposedly black clothes and an interest in Wiccan religion or Metallica means you're a Satanist. I don't appreciate people being labeled because of that. I listened to all the same stuff at the time, and that bothers me. Smells like cat shit in here. It's the dog. (laughs) Is it? I think we've, yeah, we've uh, narrowed it down to Lando, because every time he walks by, we go, I thought it was no, it's it's the dog. I thought it was maybe Ryan's shoes, but I haven't been able to get a good look. It's the dog. It's the dog. He probably rolled in it. Snoop Dog. I dressed like I was in the in this time. Like at a hey guys, I dressed like so. It smells like a Tool concert in here. It does. <laughs> I didn't put any deodorant on. I'm sorry. I take medication for anxiety, so I don't get upset when people do their own medicating, mm-hmm. like rolling shit. Okay. But I'm saying and I'm fine. And even though I'm not a devout religious man, I tried to find some sort of good in this mm-hmm. world. And the last thing I would ever want to do is hurt little kids, especially the way these boys were found, which is fucking horrible. That's the thing for the parents is you, you, all you can do is at least my mind would go, what were their last moments? I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you yeah. stop that. Yeah. I wouldn't want to. I, I don't know. Can't. How do you stop? Yeah. Like. They appeared to be killed somewhere else, given the heat of Arkansas in, the, in May and the way the boys' bodies looked. There was no blood evidence, bite marks, mutilation to the testicles and penis of one boy, and a lack of any mosquito bites, which to me is hugely telling. Mm-hmm. 
They would have got bit by mosquitoes. This says to me what happened was unplanned. It was violent somewhere else, and they were dumped by a group of either strong men or one man. It also says that they may have already been dead before they were placed in the forest, which is terrifying to theorize, but it's true. It's what happened. Could a 16, 17, and 18-year-old high school age kids really do this? They could lift yes. them. And be part of a satanic cult? I, I mean, I mean, a 16, you know, a teenager satanic cult, you know, not a real, you know, they were by, you have imaginations running wild at that age. They were all, they were by all accounts, some shy, some super friendly mm-hmm. boys. You know, you're, you're looking for an identity at that age. I'm not saying that. Do you know what I mean? Like I they're looking for a group to hang out with, mm-hmm. it, it, not being satanic, but like, hey, this is a cool thing we can do. Right. They had girlfriends. They had jobs. One of them had dropped out from high school, and that's Jesse, the one mm-hmm. who confessed with a low IQ. He was trying to roof at the time. You know, it's just weird to me with no previous evidence to the crimes other than a social prejudice of being into cool satanic readings by right. Anton LaVey. Or, or being into Iron Maiden, you've got nothing. You really do. Don't no, agree. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to say this right now for the record. To this day, they still have no evidence to tie any of the three of them That's to crazy. this case. So, I suppose we'll get into that later. It's hypocritical to me because look, people want to say, you know, the social prejudice of being into those things is prevalent like the feeling into un- reading about satanism it's a fear of the like, unknown so wrong but look here's the thing it's hypocritical because true crime is the darkest grossest shit mm-hmm. out there on this planet and soccer moms are more addicted to that than opioids nowadays Couples sit together and watch criminal drama shows every night or one of these investigative reports mm-hmm. about horrible slaughters Every night, Serial, the podcast, to bring it to that level, is the biggest podcast of all time based on a cold case. And I love this music. Oh, well, and the, the fact is, is they pin it on these three boys because they're into dark, you know, stuff. But the thing is, is killers come in all shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been watching a documentary about a girl who's who's very pretty in her young 20s that was like the cheerleading type who killed her boyfriend. So it's it you can't just pin it on somebody just because you don't like the the music that they're into and their religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Damien Eccles talk about the music that he liked back in that time and at one point he mentions U2. And this is 93 yeah. and I was just like a serial killer that listens to like early U2. Could happen. Really? Maybe. But, well, Son of Sam liked to listen to, like... Enya. He liked to listen to, like... American Psycho, like no, Huey no. Lewis in the news. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Son of Sam will, will eventually probably get to him in some way, shape, or form. But he would listen to, like... Oh, it wasn't the Mamas and the Papas, was it? Uh, the really... Uh, Puff the Magic Dragon Band. Oh, um... Yeah, I know. Who Peter, talking. Paul, and Mary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to listen to that sort of shit. So come on, people. 
It really doesn't fact. Music does not factor in, if anything. So, I'm just saying. Oh, but Damien is named Damien after the omen, and he is intrigued by Mother Nature and how to make a cool pendant to match his cool Metallica shirt. But I don't want to give any way my verdicts mm-hmm. or our are my lovely co-host verdicts for episode two. But anyway, the court ruled and we're going to take a break. And that's, uh, that's what we're going to listen to. On February 4th, Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. Was found guilty of the murders. He was sentenced to life in prison plus 40 years. The trials of Damian Eccles and Jason Baldwin are scheduled for late February. In June of last year, 1993, the Memphis Commercial Appeal reported that cult experts had warned West Memphis officials back in 1992 that satanic cult activities were present in the community. One of the three defendants told West Memphis police that local cult activities included eating dogs and participating in sex orgies. Acquaintances of Damien Eccles told reporters that Eccles customarily wore black, killed cats, and worshipped the devil. time for your second segment your part one on the west memphis three so let's get into it folks yes damien eccles was convicted and sentenced to death by the way which wow. is the big kind of holy shit of that first documentary that first paradise lost documentary because it's like whoa but they had no evidence on any of these kids yet somehow still they were going to prison for life and then some, but there's been widespread criticism of how the police handled the crime scene. Miss Kelly's former attorney, Dan Stidham cites multiple substantial police errors at the crime scene, characterizing it as literally trampled, especially the Creek bed. The bodies he said had been removed from the water before the coroner arrived to examine the scene. Mm and determine the state of rigor mortis, allowing the bodies to decay on the creek bank and be exposed to sunlight and insects. The police did not telephone the coroner until almost two hours after the discovery of the floating shoe, resulting in a late appearance by the coroner. Officials failed to drain the creek in a timely manner and secure possible evidence in the water. The creek was, though, sandbagged after the bodies were pulled from the water. Moreover, Stidham calls the coroner's investigation, quote, extremely substandard. There was a small amount of blood found at the scene that was never tested. Really? According to HBO's documentaries, Paradise Lost, The Child Murders of Robin Hood Hills, and Paradise Lost 2, Revelations from 2000, no blood was found at the crime scene 
indicating that the location where the bodies were found was not necessarily the location where the murders actually happened. After initial investigation, the police failed to control disclosure of information and speculation about the crime scene. According to Leverett, quote, police records were a mess. To call them disorderly would be putting it mildly. Leverett speculated that the small local police force was overwhelmed by the crime, which was unlike any they had ever investigated. Police refused any uh, unsolicited offer of aid and consultation from the violent crimes experts at Arkansas State Police. And critics suggested that this was due to the West Memphis Police Department's being under investigation by the Arkansas State Police for suspected theft from the Crittenden County Drug Task Force. Leverett further noted that some of the physical evidence was stored in paper sacks obtained from the supermarket with the supermarket's name printed on the bags <laughs> rather than in containers of known and controlled origin. Which, right, right on the top. It says Piggly Wiggly on the front, <laughs> but uh, that's not my ham sandwich. That's actually a... It's actually a child sandwich. It's a, it's a child child's clothes. <laughs> Ooh, roast now, beef. When police speculated about the assailant, the juvenile probation officer assisting at the scene of the murder speculated that Eccles was capable, like I said, the guy that was like, oh, he's crazy. He wears black. He likes Satan. As we're all wearing black right now. <laughs> yeah. True story. I've got a shirt that says Muerte on it, which, I mean, means death, but it's it's of a band that played music that I love, and... April's wearing a Weird Al shirt. Larry's wearing a shirt that's my, my Howard Stern Baba Booey shirt. Okay. It says Noing. And, and I'm wearing a WWE shirt. Okay. Just so you know, visuals are everything. I think April one's the coolest shirt, though. Aww. Amish Paradise. That seems rare. Indeed. The more you know. Now, according to this fella, the probation officer, he said, it looks like Damien Eccles finally killed someone. Brent Turvey, a forensic scientist and criminal profiler, stated in the film Paradise Lost 2 that human bite marks could have been left on at least one of the victims. However, these potential bite marks were first noticed in photographs years after the trials and were not inspected by board-certified medical examiner until four years after the murders. That's a big... That's a huge thing to mm-hmm. accidentally miss. Bite marks are like fingerprints. They could lead to anything. I mean... And they can, yeah, get a graph of it and then check all three all of All dental the- records. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and we'll get to that. Oh. Don't you worry. Your man's steering the ship. We'll Dibbly. be fine. You know, I just want to say that Ooh. so far, everything that they botched on this... And with uh, the one uh, the not mentally sound mm-hmm. and the, the, them pressuring it, this was reminding me heavily of the Stephen Avery case. Yep. Yep. It, it's, it's sick. Making a murder, by the way. That's uh, what Josh is referencing. <laughs> so. The, uh, the photographs years after the trials were not inspected by a board-certified medical examiner until four years after the murders. 
The defense's expert testified that the mark in question was not an adult bite mark, while experts put on the state concluded that there were no bite marks at all. The state's experts had examined the actual bodies for any marks, and others conducted expert photo analysis of the injuries. Upon further examination, it was concluded that if the marks were bite marks, they did not match the teeth of any of the three convicted. Oh. Guess what, guys? Um... There were more suspects. They had no teeth. No, they all had teeth. <laughs> They're 16, 17, and That's 18. That's me. I have no teeth. Oh, oh. Grandma. Oh, you yeah. always... We haven't seen you in a while, Grandma. It's been a while, I know. Now, <laughs> these other suspects. Now, this is Chris Morgan and Brian Holland. Early in the investigation, West Memphis Police Department briefly regarded two West Memphis teenagers as suspects. Chris Morgan and Brian Holland, both with drug offense histories, had abruptly departed for Oceanside, California. And they departed four days after the bodies were discovered. Mm. Morgan was presumed to be at least casually familiar with all three three murdered boys, Mm. having previously driven an ice cream truck route in the neighborhood. He was arrested in Oceanside on May 17, 1993. Morgan and Holland both took polygraph exams administered by California police. Examiners reported that both men's charts indicated deception when they denied involvement in the murders. During subsequent questioning, Morgan claimed a long history of drug and alcohol abuse, along with blackouts and memory lapses. He claimed that he might have killed the victims, but quickly recanted this part of his statement. Kelly, I know. California police sent blood and urine samples from Morgan and Holland to the WMPD, the West Memphis Police Department, but there is no indication WMPD investigated Morgan or Holland as suspects following their arrest in California. The relevance of Morgan's recanted statement would later be Debated in trial, but it was eventually barred from admission as evidence because they had their guys. Now, pay attention. This is my curveball for this. This is the moment in the True Crime Garage uh, podcast that I listen to. This is my moment when I've watched these documentaries where my ears perked up quite a bit. We call this suspect Mr. Bojangles. So, <laughs> opened up a chicken shop in the south. Well, it is a fried chicken restaurant. Ooh, it is. So, I do. the sighting of a black male as a possible art- alternate suspect was implied during the beginning of the Miss Kelly trial. And they do bring that up if you watch the first documentary, mm-hmm. uh, Paradise Lost. So, According to local West Memphis police officers, on the evening of May 5th, 1993, at 8.42 p.m. Now, we know our time scale. Mm -hmm. We know they were missing basically from like 6 on. We know they said to go home at 8, file a missing persons report. So at 8.42 p.m., workers in the Bojangles restaurant located about a mile from the crime scene in Robin Hood Hills reported seeing... A black male who seemed mentally disoriented inside the restaurant's ladies' room. So he was disoriented enough to say, I'm going to the ladies' room. I don't know if he just wanted to make a statement or what, but 
This man was bleeding and had brushed against the restroom walls, leaving traces of blood. Ooh. Officer was me. Regina. No, I knew you were coming, O's. I knew you were coming, OJ. Every time I bump into something, some gotta make a clean. What are you doing at a fried restaurant? Fried fried restaurant. <laughs> fried chicken restaurant in West Memphis juice. Well, as you know, I like fast food. Mm. You do like things fast. You, and you, well, you did have McDonald's before you killed. Or, I mean, allegedly, well, maybe, or who knows if you did it. If I did it, allegedly. Mm, with your son. Anyway, so. Hypothetically. Officer Regina Meeks responded to the call, taking the restaurant manager's report. Now, there is testimony from this manager talking about this instance. And. It's crazy to me how it's a mile away the night somebody's distressed, covered mm-hmm. in blood. Okay. Just throwing it out there, folks. Mm-hmm. So it smells like chicken and pennies in here. Yeah, right. And so the Lando and shit. So <laughs> that's a way better smell. Yeah. That much. Now. The manager That's not a turd, that's a candy bar. Taking the restaurant manager's report through the eatery's drive-through window, by then the man had actually left. And police did not enter the rest- restroom on that date. The day after the victims' bodies were found, Bojangles manager Marty King, thinking there was a possible connection to the bloody man found in the bathroom, reported the incident to police officers who then inspected the ladies' room. King gave the officers a pair of sunglasses he thought the man had left behind, and the detectives took some blood samples from the walls and tiles of the restroom. Police detective Bryn Ridge testified that he later lost those blood scrapings. A hair, though, identified as belonging to a black male was later recovered hmm. from a sheet wrapped around one of the three boy victims. No shit. Yeah. Hmm. By the way, I brought this, this case up to your brother. Mm-hmm. That was the first person he brought up. Oh, really? Yeah. He knows, my brother knows every freaking He does. Conspiracy. Well, that's why I brought it up to him. It's crazy. If there's one character that people remember most from Paradise Lost, the documentary series, though, and this is our last suspect, mm-hmm. it's probably John Mark Byers, one of the stepfathers mm-hmm. of the boys who died. Well, isn't it usually 90% of the time it's someone they know? Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's more like 95%. It's no. insane. It's almost always like a family member who is like, Deny, 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 and then... You deleted my save on the PS1. Well, that's fine. I can understand (laughs) that. Well, I know what to tell Asher not to do when he gets a little older. Don't touch the PlayStation. Just uh, start playing sports, because your dad doesn't give a shit about sports. I'd be pretty pissed if they erased my uh, Witcher 3 file, but... What game was it that you were playing that uh, Garrett got on and spent all your saved (laughs) money on, like characters i can't remember what it was but i had like saved and saved and saved because i was actually saving for something really cool and then garrett got on there and blew it all like six million coins that he spent on different characters and that was after like (laughs) five or six months of playing the game i was so mad all right (laughs) let's get back to this boy murder so john mark buyer's knife 
1993. John Mark Byers, the adoptive father of victim Christopher Byers, gave a knife to cameraman Doug Cooper, who was working with the documentary makers Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sanofsky while filming the first Paradise Lost feature. The knife was a folding hunting knife manufactured by Kershaw. According to the statements given by Berlinger and Sanofsky, Cooper informed them of his receipt of the knife on December 19, 1993. After the doc- documentary crew returned to New York, Berlinger and Sanofsky were reported to have discovered what appeared to be blood on the knife. Oh, well, it's a hunting knife. HBO executives ordered them to return the knife to the West, West, the weep, 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 West Memphis Police Department. The knife was not received at the West Memphis Police Department until January 8th, 1994. It was a little bit of a delay. Yeah. Byers initially claimed the knife had been never used. However, after Whoa. blood was found on the knife, mm-hmm. Byers stated that he had used it only once to cut deer meat. When told the police, when told, okay, so he told the blood matched. When told, when he was told, sorry, I, I apologize. Mm-hmm. When told the blood matched both his and Chris's blood type, Byers said he had no idea how that blood might have gotten under the knife. During interrogation, West Memphis police suggested to Byers that he might have left the knife out accidentally, and Byers agreed with this. Oh my gosh. <sighs> they gave him an alibi. Mm hmm. Pretty much. Well, they knew who they wanted to pin it on. Mm-hmm. Byers later stated that he may have cut his thumb. Further testing of the knife produced inc- inconclusive results about the source of the blood. Uncertainty remained due to the small amount of blood and because both John Mark Byers and Chris Byers had the same HLA DQA genotype blood type. Mm-hmm. Byers agreed to and passed a polygraph test about the murders during the filming of the second Paradise Lost documentary. But the documentary indicated that Byers was under the influence of several psychoactive prescription medications that could have affected the test results. He was also arrested in 1999 for selling... (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love these sound files. I don't think we got going for us right now. <laughs> Mark Byers was arrested in 1999 for selling prescription drugs to a narcotics officer. He was arrested and then was held eligible for parole in October of 2000. There's also more evidence to talk about in episode two with all the segments you mm-hmm. know and love. You have to wait till next week. But quick, let's play one more clip. Okay. Now, this last clip is the celebrity reaction after those documentaries yeah. came out on HBO. You got Johnny Depp in the forefront. If there's, someone I'm, if there's someone's testimony, I'm going to take it. Celebrities. Right. Of course. Um, these are celebrities. Other, the short Dixie chick said something about how she thought this was bullshit. And Natalie Maines. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, because guess what? The documentaries and the lack of ed- evidence, the no evidence, mm-hmm. caused many to protest against what everyone felt was a wrongful conviction. So this is the last clip we're going to play, and uh, we'll be on the other side. Crime was believed to be part of a satanic ritual, so Damien Eccles, then 19, was sentenced to death. Jason Baldwin, who was 16, and Jesse Miss Kelly, 17, were given life sentences. That was in 1994. 
But today, the West Memphis Three have become a cause celeb. How can you be absolutely sure that these three men are innocent? If there was the tiniest sliver of doubt, I wouldn't be sitting here. Actor Johnny Depp learned about the case from an HBO documentary. So did New York landscape architect Lori Davis. I know, my life just was completely changed after that. And how? Lori gave up her job and moved to Arkansas to help. And in 1999, she married Damien Eccles. She's like a living, breathing miracle in human form. Despite the support, I'm feeling positive about the three men have been denied new trials by Arkansas courts. Do you feel a sense of the clock ticking? Oh, yeah. You know that sometimes when someone from Hollywood takes a stand on an issue, he can be dismissed or sometimes accused of doing it for publicity. Yeah, I'm a big publicity hound, me. <laughs> if, they, if they try to make me squirm, that's, that's nothing compared to what, what these guys have had to deal with for the last 16 years. What is most shocking about this case is how little evidence there is. There is no physical evidence, none, that ties the convicted men to the crime scene. Investigators first targeted a suspect, Damien Eccles, and then they build a case around him and his friends instead of what they're supposed to do, follow the evidence to the killer. So if these three men didn't commit the crime, is there any evidence that links someone else? Well, it has been 16 years, but they now have some DNA. Um, it's not conclusive, but it does point to a person that the police never interviewed. We talked to that person in our show. But most important is that new DNA does not connect to any of the three convicted hmm. men. In the meantime, time is of the essence because one of them is on death row. Absolutely. There is no actual execution date scheduled, but he could be executed if he doesn't get a new trial. Owies. Well, that's been your episode, your part one. This is, uh, <sighs> this is a doozy. It was really hard to cover this one without... I don't. I just don't know where you're going to joke. Mm-hmm. We're a comedy podcast, so hopefully you laughed a lot at the Squonk episode, so we could take a little break on this first episode. Oh, also, as a as a side note for anyone who listens to this episode and is like, I want to learn more about that. I want to Google it. Uh, just as a forewarning. Uh, there are very graphic images of the crime scene and of the bodies on Google Images. Um, so if that's something you don't want to see, I would maybe stay away from that. I they love are very, that, very graphic. I love that you brought that up because I failed to mention early on that the first Paradise Lost documentary actually shows the boys after they've oh, been boy. pulled out of the water. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? I did, and it fucked me up. I had to... Yeah, I had a crack of you to forget. It sucked, because I was not prepared to see that, and then the second I saw it, I was just like, oh, I'm not unseeing that for a little bit. Yeah, um, these are things you don't need to see, but, I mean, there's sickos and like-minded individuals, people who like this sort of stuff that are going to seek it out, and I get that. I get the fascination, but it, it it is really not worth the time or the 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 mm-hmm. the eventual just like scarring that, that that sort of stuff cause. This is a fucked up case. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, at the very very core of it, three little boys died. 
in a horrible way. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find the bodies because of the way they were placed. They were meticulously placed the way they were in that little shallow bed of water, muddy water. They couldn't even see it. At, I mean, they couldn't see it hardly during the day. They couldn't see it definitely at night. And I'll say this before we end this episode, but mm-hmm. I think that this was something that took a sick mind. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a not an intelligent mind, but I think mm-hmm. it's a sick, intelligent mind that knew how it was going to place these boys. Mm-hmm. And it could have been a long time before they found them. Yeah. But luckily they knew this was one of their favorite places to go. And I, you know, rest in peace, kids. Yep. They they were in their favorite place and unfortunately they only got eight years on this planet. And mm. that's a sucky thing. You yeah. Know? A life mm-hmm. life is lives are robbed. Indeed. Families robbed. Families robbed, lives robbed, and you know, they'd be at this point, they would be, they were eight and 93. So at this point, they'd be 20. Just really starting their lives. Yeah. I mean, 93, they were eight. Yeah. They'd be 33. Yeah. Wow. They'd be, they were my age. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Think about that. Yep. Ouch. Yeah. It's a bruiser of an episode, folks. Yeah. No kidding. You asked for it. We're covering it. But guess That's what? about how I feel after yeah. recording this. Quick, do we have any more April reading porn? Mm-hmm. I just have the one. God damn it. Sorry, folks. No uplifting anything here. All right. Well, <clears throat> let's close it out with some plugs. Oh, that feels gross. No plugs? That feels gross. All right. Check us you out. You already know where to find us anyway yeah. if you listen to the episodes. Yeah. Uh, check us out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> That's all right. You Speaking know, of dead kids, Eva's podcast, you know, it just. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say one thing. If you've enjoyed this show, please check us out on Facebook. Join the closed group. This was a listener suggestion. Sick bastards. Mm-hmm. So if you want us to cover something in the future, we do a monthly vote every month. Please join our Facebook groups. And we have a closed group, which also, and I think we should definitely shout this out. Yeah, don't let the brutal death of three eight-year-olds keep you from getting two more likes on Facebook this week, Ryan. Our man, Rude, or Rud, made this amazing drawing of us as elves, and it made it made everybody's year, and we loved it. So if you look for our closed group on Facebook, that's the picture that shows up. Is We loved it so much. We Thank do. you so much. At Psycho Links on at psycho underscore links on Twitter or Twitter on Instagram. Check it out. We love it's, things. Hey, Larry, I love you. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Guys, there's a squonk in here. We got to play this out with shiny, happy people. <laughs> God. All right. So we have a lot to cover in episode two. All the segments you know and love will be there. We'll see you next week. Another episode of Conspiracy Therapy Podcast. Have a great one, guys.
from that very long. I bought a home in West Memphis back in 1949. Bought a home in West Memphis back in 1949. I come home on Sunday morning and my house was burning down. This has been a presentation of Beer City Media. 